Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real, different conversations with legendary people about business, marketing, and life. And this is a special episode coinciding with um, Dreamforce, which is Salesforce.com's annual mega conference, because our guest today is none other than Vala Afshar, the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce.com. And so we thought this would be a great thing to listen to if you're on your way to sale, uh, to Dreamforce, or maybe you're at Dreamforce and you're tired of talking to people and you want to stick a podcast in your ear, or maybe you're on the plane flying home from Dreamforce. Or maybe you didn't even go to Dreamforce. Uh, you just think Vala is a really cool guy, which he is. Um, we have a very, regardless, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. It's a very powerful one about leadership in the digital media age. Uh, we get into some of the key practices that have made Salesforce.com number one on the Forbes most innovative companies list. Um, also, Vala is the author of a great book called The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. And... He's the co-host of one of my favorite things to watch, which is Disrupt TV uh, with my buddy Ray Wong from Constellation uh, Research. I think you're going to love this episode. Um, Vala is one of the most visible and impactful thought leaders in enterprise technology, and um, he's freaking awesome. Now, before we get to Vala, check out my friends at growwire.com. It's what innovative and entrepreneurial leaders are reading today. Check out GrowWire for practical and inspirational stories about how to grow yourself and your business. There's also an awesome GrowWire podcast, which I've been uh, stoked to guest on, and a YouTube channel. Check out GrowWire.com today. And my friends at Splunk want to remind you that we are in the data age, and Splunk is bringing data to everything, every question, decision, and action. To learn how to turn data into doing, check out Splunk, S-P-L-U-N-K dot com slash D to E, as in data to everything. That's Splunk dot com slash D to E. Now, hey ho, let's go. And I see these athletes and, you know, when they get into a flow state, when they, you know, when they perform at their prime for so long, you know, I, 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 I wonder how you can get into that same state when you run business or when you're in business, I, you know, I, I've never felt the same feelings I had when I was, for example, on a basketball court the, it, 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 where, you know, you're so focused, you're so energized you know, anything can happen around you and you just, you're just completely in a zone. And I just don't, you know, it's hard to get into that state mindset in, in business. So I, I think, well, let me say, let me just tell you my reaction. I, I find that surprising coming from you because the, um, the external view of you yeah. You are a guy who is on it. You're always doing interesting shit. You're traveling to interesting places, meeting with interesting people, yeah. posting interesting uh, Twitter shit all the time, about <laughs> space shows and drug <laughs> discoveries and I, you know, whatever. You're like, uh, I don't even know how to describe you on social media. Like you're this cornucopia of interesting shit, right? And so you, the, 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 the image I have of you is a guy who's sort of, you know, not at you all know, together. 
I appreciate that. That's super kind of you to say. It means a lot coming from you because you're the human exclamation point, according to fast companies. So coming from you, that's pretty awesome. You know, I don't think I ever had imposter syndrome when I was competing on a field. Um, when I su- you know suited up and I was on a court basketball court, as an example, I, those are just memories I had in high school, college. I, I had no fear. I had I had no question of my ability. I had no reservation, you know, driving hard to the basket. I didn't care how tall you were, how strong you were, how fast. Give me the ball. Um, and, you know, in business, that's not quite the same. I, I you know, I, as I was a CMO for four years, complete imposter syndrome from beginning to end because I never had marketing experience. I never had... I never went to school and studied the art and the science of marketing. And, and my CEO just asked me, he called me on a weekend and said, on Monday, I'm going to announce the company. You're going to be the CMO. And his name was Chris. And I said, Chris, you're setting me up to fail. I, I don't know anything about marketing. And he said, well, we hired a firm to help us recruit a CMO because our CMO had just left to go work for Cisco, which was uh, you know, a, a company that we competed with in every deal. They had about, I don't know, 71% of market share. Uh, in, in, in the space um, we were in. And, uh, and he said, yeah, the agency said, you know, that guy in the service side of your business who wrote a book is writing blogs regularly and active on social. He should be your head of marketing. And um, so anyway, I just, I, 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 I appreciate what you say. I'm, I'm, it's, it's just, I work hard and I'm interested, which over time, I guess, translates to being interesting because when I find something of interest, I share, you know, there's no, big big formula <laughs> i couldn't write a book that describes the methodology because i can capture it in a sentence <laughs> um but yeah i just don't i don't I, I don't know if i've ever felt the confidence i felt as an athlete um huh i you know, never would have guessed that in business yeah yeah so. and i certainly you don't come across as somebody who would have suffered the imposter syndrome <laughs> oh totally to all these interesting places you uh you reference uh you know, a, a, a few months ago, I, I got I got an invite to go to host the first ever hackathon at the Vatican, and the invite was from the Vatican. And I ended up going, spending a week at St. Peter's Basilica, and mentored, coached, and and spent a week with 120 students representing 57 colleges, universities. And what these kids were able to do in their early 20s, like building minimum viable products, building applications that had machine learning and augmented and extended reality, and, and it, they had 36 hours to build something. And I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, I'm an electrical engineer based on my schoolings, both undergrad and grad. And there's no way I could do what these kids were doing when I was in school. And certainly, I think about the promise and the future that these kids represent entering the workforce in the very near term. And uh, one, the future is bright, so I love that. But I'm around lots of smart people all the time. And often I find myself wondering, what am I doing here? Like, how did I get the invite? Um, Anyway, anyway, this is why I think I love social because it gives me access to people like you, people like Ray Wong, people like Heather. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, it's for for, uh, and I don't like labeling people, but for an introvert, you know, I spent 10 years writing code after school, after grad school. So I was perfectly happy locked up in a cube, just writing software to be able to, you know, share the stage with you last week at Constellation uh, Conference or, you know, next week, my company has a little get together in San Francisco. And, uh, 
just a few uh, folks think, coming over, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think we're projecting 176,000 uh, in attendance. Um, but I can't, I mean, the list of people that I'll have the good fortune of meeting, I just, that, those are my dogs that are agreeing with the list. Sorry about that. I got two, two puppies, um, uh, both about 90 pounds each, so not quite puppies, but, um, but yeah, anyway, anyway, so, so, uh, you know, what people may perceive my work. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a, it's constant good struggle. Uh, good struggle. Uh, so I don't what's think it like for, uh, you being an introvert, uh, being, I mean, you're, I don't know, you're, you're a digital celebrity in the, in the, at least in the B2B tech world. Right, you're what you're what my buddy Matt Johnson calls uh, micro famous, and in a pretty big, you know, space. Right? Yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah. My my daughter turned seventeen a couple of days ago, and I went on LinkedIn because that's the only platform that her and I are connected. Um, and I wished her a happy birthday. And um, yeah, by end of the day. Uh, there was 700,000 views of the comment and thousands of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It was amazing to me. She, she, she ended up getting 3000 invites. Um, she's in high school. So <laughs> most of the time she's like, I don't know who this person is. I don't know their company and I don't know why they're trying to connect with me from like India or Korea or <laughs> whatever. So, so, um, by the way, I, I think one takeaway was on LinkedIn, people care more, more about who you are than your work. So like if you just, you know, once in a while, say something personable or say something that's not related to, can you endorse me or can you hire me or can you provide a reference? I guess there's amazing things can happen. I was, I was blown away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's humble. It's, it's humbling uh, to, to have a strong connection on, on social media. Um, yeah, I, I um, you know, so the, I think I think the first forty years of my career in schooling, I was taught that your lifeblood of a company or how you build uh, a voice or or maybe even influence, it's all about um, uh, consumption. It's 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 collecting resources. How many people work in your department? Your income, your budget. So. It, you know, I focused on, you know, do, do building domain expertise and knowledge. So I think in the first 40 years, I focused on, you know, building expertise and then, you know, expanding my, my, my reach within, within, within the companies that I served. It's only when, it's only in my 40s when I realized that the focus should be on movement of resources. Um, the health of an individual uh, is based on, you know, your, your, your lungs capture oxygen, your heart is responsible for pumping blood throughout your body. It, it, you know, if your heart or your lungs operated like, and these are pumps in your body. To me, departments are pumps in business. If, if, if your heart operated like most departments in most companies where they're defined by silos and gathering content and resources rather than flow and information, you would cease to exist. You would die. Um, so when I think of pumps in a healthy body, when I think of the circulatory system, you know, your arteries and veins and blood vessels where they take nutrients and bring it to your entire body. My company builds CRM. The goal 
CRM should be to connect these departments so you can capture data, analyze the data, make informed decisions that lead to action in near real time. So it's like the business circulatory system. Um, and when I'm running, you know, there's feedback loops in my circulatory system that tells my heart and my lungs to accelerate and amplify nutrients because, you know, I'm, I'm exerting myself. The same feedback loops in business that helps you identify those unworkable ideas, those delayed over budget projects, those unproductive employees, unhealthy relationships with your partners. Like when those feedback loops don't exist or cease to operate, um, you know, your companies die. So, so movement is the ultimate status symbol. And I learned that lesson, I think, in my 40s. So the, the tweeting, the blogging, movement? movement of information. Movement of so now so again first forty years if I had read a book or, or read a you know one of your posts or listened to your podcast I would just consume it and then that's it it stayed with me in the last five six years when I learn something I try to capture that and share and so the movement of knowledge um, and and being able to add value by not just consuming but sharing has helped open doors and. Um, and your question was, how does it feel, Frank? It's really exhausting to, for an introvert <laughs> to deliver a keynote or write an article or even be active on social. Um, but I think the, the intentional struggle and the appreciation of movement of knowledge and resources is what ultimately has helped me grow as, as an individual. Um, hmm. um, so That's I think a, a healthy- fascinating perspective that it's not enough to learn something, that you've got to share it. Well, as an Amazon best-selling author, as the first top two business podcast, I mean, I don't know what motivates you. Are you it's, to me, it feels like you're intrinsically motivated to teach. Um, and as a you know, a three-time incredible successful CMO, you've 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 provided guidance to fifty-plus startups. Your whole life has been. <laughs> I wish I was doing what Chris has been doing not just in the last five years, but my entire career, um, you're teaching. People are learning from you. Um, and as a single contributor, so I, I managed uh, my, you know, I was a CMO of a you know, company that had almost a billion dollar in revenue. And when I was running services and marketing, I had, I don't know, 350 some odd people that worked for me, managed multi-million dollar budgets and was responsible for about $400 million of revenue in a company that was doing a billion. So a good portion of it was services business. I feel I'm adding more value. I feel more rewarded. I'm a, so now I'm a single contributor. Um, so that transition from a line of business owner, accumulating income, accumulating budget and people and departments, um, and, and, and yet today I feel that I'm impacting more, um, not just myself, my family, my colleagues. And uh, I got a report from Twitter. It was like, you're tracking to a billion impressions by the end of this year. I'm like, that's, I don't even understand that. I don't, I don't how is that possible that, that, that um, you know, that there's so much interest in what you said from NASA to whatever, all these, all these videos that I share. The only rule of thumb is, does it interest me? Uh, did I learn something? Is it something that I didn't know? Um, and then the other thing, which I think people make a mistake, it's kind of a delicious paradox. I don't know. Don't use the platform to sell. Like, don't use it to sell. Um, just 
educate is so your intentions there's a fine line between manipulating and inspiring and that line is defined by your intention and if for a sustained period of time you give and you're not making an ask like you just don't ask um it's hard to do um I mean, it's, it's hard to do, um, but if you can develop that muscle of just giving um, and making your intentions clear, I've had people tell me, I didn't even know you worked at Salesforce and I've been following you for a year. And I think that's maybe not a good thing. I mean, at some point, I'm actually proud of where I work and I should be talking about the company. Hey, and the uh, maybe you could tweet something about the company every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, right. <laughs> I'll do plenty of that next week. Maybe when we launch a new product or something or have a oh, great quarter or yeah, promote no, our absolutely. conference, <laughs> or would you tweet a little something for the company every once in a while? Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. But that's the thing. That's what I fear is... When I share something about like importance of AI, like when I say, look, if you're a company and you don't have machine learning on your radar, or even more importantly, you're building applications that can take advantage of certainly the last 10 years of massive advancements in this space, you know, you're in trouble. You know, I'm not talking about Salesforce, but indirectly, you know, there isn't a new feature that we're going to announce next week at our conference that's not powered by ML. So, so... So everything that we're going to bring to market for the most part is going to ha- have really rich analytics capabilities. So, you know, I, I don't want people to, um, I don't want people to think that I'm spending my time and energy trying to sell something. Although I guess, at, you know, deep reflection, we're all trying to sell something, I suppose. Um, but, but yeah, well, it's, it's, nothing, I, I, I'm not, I don't have any shame at all around, Hey, I, there's certain shit I sell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I believe in it, right? Like, right. I believe in capitalism, and I believe in the creative art that is business. And so, um, if you believe that you're in, involved with creating awesome shit, then bringing that awesome shit to the world, right, is a, is a great thing to do. Right. Absolutely. I, you know, again, it's just I want that connection between me and you know, whomever is kind enough, interested enough to connect to be based on my core values, um, you know, who I am, not where I work or what I sell. Um, but I got to tell you, it's, uh, I've had some wonderful experiences where chief executives or, you know, budget-owning individuals have reached out to me organically through Twitter. And those discussions that started based on just, uh, you know, not pre-existing relationships, but but ideas that we share, um, and those discussions led to eight digit eight digit deals for my company. Um, right. So you know it's it's and that's it's good. Play, yeah. Fucking a. <laughs> yeah. No. It's yeah. It's it, you have to have. Look, I'm not a quota carrying person, so I appreciate people that have to sell for a living and they have targets and accountability. The hardest job in any business, in my humble opinion, is sales. I was arrogant enough early in my career where I thought people that build technology, you know, we would sell a router uh, in a data center that would have 20 layer PCB, 11,000 discrete hardware components and 10 million lines of code. So when you would ask me who has the toughest, hardest job in the company, I would say, well, the people that build this piece of hardware only when I had the opportunity to get closer to money, closer to customers, closer to the edge of business where I realized no question, hardest job in any business is sales. And for successful companies, there's only two kinds, rich ones and new ones. So you get nothing for second place. And that's just an amazing amount of pressure. 
I have always loved that expression. Jay, Jay Larson, who was our head of sales back at Mercury, he used to say that one all the time. We have two kinds of salespeople here at Mercury. Yeah. Which ones are new ones? I love that. Which um, is true. So, yeah, I, I believe in that kind of a sales culture. Yeah. But I wanted to circle back. There's an interesting um, phenomena that um, I know uh, David Gerhard talks about it, and it's being talked about in the marketing world a little bit more that you personally, as well as Salesforce as a company, represents that very few companies, particularly of the size and scale of Salesforce do, which is this idea that um, companies have to have people out in the world now. That, that you can't, there's no such thing as a corporate brand in a traditional sense, right? And so um, when... I think his name is Dennis Mullenberg. The CEO of Boeing gets up. And look, I may not make some friends, but you can just tell he's an asshole. <laughs> and it makes Boeing like a shitty company. Like it makes you pissed off at Boeing, right? Um, and the, the, So in other words, brands, companies need people now. And, right. I, and if I look at your company, you know, your founder and CEO has been very high profile since pre-founding the company. Right. He's high, and he's high profile on a lot of things that don't have anything to do with the company particularly, whether it's homelessness in San Francisco or sure. uh, LGBT rights or, or whatever it is, right? He's vocal on a whole bunch of things. Um, and, then, and, then, and then there's the, the executive team. And in a company like Salesforce, you have a handful of high profile executives who a lot of people know and are very visible in the world. And then you have... Folks like yourself and, you know, Tiffany Boba, who's, who's also been with me and who's got a sure. great new book out and all that. And so anyway, my point is, there's a, if you sort of started to think about Salesforce, there's certainly six to 10 people who are pretty visible in the world out representing Salesforce in one way or another. Right. And I think that's unusual. I can't name three Boeing executives. Right. And right. so tell me how you personally think about sort of being a human being out in the world and yet at the same time representing a company and now and being part of a team where this is happening a lot right. um, in a way that's unusual, but I think is, is, is what people want going forward. But I'm curious what your take on all this is. No, I, I, I again, I appreciate your 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 summary of uh, what I think helps set Salesforce apart from other companies. Uh, I had the good fortune of joining other companies. Um, you know, when I expressed interest in um, moving away from a hardware industry to software, there was there was a fair amount of interest, um, and. Um, because I knew the soul of Salesforce, because I understood why they did things, not just how or what, um, as a first-gen immigrant, as a refugee first-gen immigrant, um, I appreciated the inclusiveness the, um, and, and the soul of Salesforce. Um, you know, I was a customer for a long time. So, I, again, I had the opportunity. But I had many, you know, successful companies as vendors that provided solutions to me and my company. But they were different. Um, Mark is um, 
you mentioned co-founder, you know, Mark is one of the most accessible social Fortune 250 executives you'll ever meet. I mean, he will tweet his cell number, his phone number, his email to public. I've watched him do customer support <laughs> on a public social network when we had customers or partners that wanted wanted a resolution to 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 or, or they had a problem they wanted for him to understand so i think that when you create a social business where you can see and hear ideas from the in the fabric of an organization not just the highest uh, paid or the people in the corner office you know it's it's um you create a culture of radical transparency um you know where you can stand up for you know stakeholders like the homeless mark views homeless as stakeholders and most company ceos or company leaders they don't necessarily view the communities that they serve as stakeholders they think more like shareholders is it a customer partner perhaps an employee um so the view of 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 stakeholder versus shareholder you know when I think of why Salesforce is successful, you know, some say, oh, it's technology disruption, you know, multi-tenant metadata, cloud computing in 1999. That was an incredible technology disruption. Uh, the 111 philanthropic model was pretty unique. And now there's about 10,000 companies that have adopted that. The subscription model of pay-as-you-go, that's like the envy of all current business. But 20 years ago, licensed subscription model where they can fire you and there's no on-premise cap exchange element to the equation was business model innovation. App exchange store was like building a whole ecosystem with uh, companies that can build their capabilities on top of yours. All these things are disruption in terms of how do you build an ecosystem? How do you give away your time, money, and profit? How do you build a company based on emerging technology? How do you create new business models? We, but, but in his first book, he talked about V2Mom. And he said that there's vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measurements. Vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measurements. Where we're going to define our V2Mom at the, at the founder level and cascade all the way down to a, a single contributor that joined a company 90 days ago. So now our company's 45,000 employees. Every, 40, every one of the 45,000 employees have a V2 mom. The V2 mom is accessible on your mobile phone. So when somebody connects with me and they're a salesperson in Texas, they'll say, hey, Vala, I just looked at your V2 mom and one of your measurements of success is a dozen keynotes. Um, I have an amazing keynote opportunity in Texas. Are you available on this date? So people are not making asks of the 45,000 employees, their colleagues that are orthogonal asks. They're absolutely looking at what is your measure of success and can I help you achieve that said measure? <laughs> and so I've never worked for a company where I can look at everyone's 12-month goal, especially their obstacles as a hiring manager. You know, I remember having annual performance reviews and person would ask for help and I'm, and, or, or I, we would question their contribution and they would say, you know, I sent you four or five emails about not having resource or budget. So a strategy is vision, sequencing of initiatives and committed resources. You miss any one of those three elements, you have a shitty strategy. And now you, you, there's evidence because people are proactively explaining what they perceive to be obstacles for them to achieve success. So... Again, why are there half a dozen or a dozen Salesforce executives that are out there? It comes back to a culture where I don't think people, I think it's Godin who said this, people are not afraid of failure, they're afraid of blame. Uh, 
So when you can practice radical transparency at scale, um, you know, there's more empathy and there's more understanding of what each of us have to do to be successful. It's a hard journey for all of us. Um, I also think that Mark recognizes, and I don't know who said this, it may have been the founder of Zappos, your, your culture is your brand. And what is your culture? Collective behavior of your, 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 your stakeholders, your employees. So your people are your brand. So if you hire people that want to change the world, if you hire people that are, just have good manners and they give a shit <laughs> um, and they don't feel entitled, um, you know, ultimately, I think uh, it will be a good, good thing for your company. Um, so, but, but you know, so you have interesting to... interesting because people want to hide behind a corporate brand, right? And, yeah, and yeah, this absolutely. idea that the founder and CEO would be tweeting out his cell number or dealing with customer service problems or, or you know, folks like yourself and Tiffany and so forth are very visible and available, right? So if I'm having a problem with Salesforce, like I know how to get, all, you can go get people. Right? You absolutely can get people. But and you know, if, when if somebody didn't respond, right. right. I mean, it would it would be unconscionable, right? It would people would be like, hey, Vala, what the fuck, right? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, but the the, the comp- and this is something that you know I think about. Um, one of the joys for me about writing and podcasting that I didn't think would be a joy that, frankly, I thought would be a pain in the ass to be. <laughs> Sure. totally candid would be like oh you know this writing and podcasting is great as long as you don't have to interact with anybody who <laughs> buys or consumes any of the shit right <laughs> and, and and i didn't know there'd be so much joy in that and right. i think back to my heroes you know i think about a david ogilvy by way of example right like, right nobody right. was tweeting david ogilvy right and right. and and he missed out on that level of absolutely interaction but absolutely. i guess my point is uh, it's different when it's a major corporation like Salesforce that has, you know, a, a, a reasonably large number of very high-profile people in the digital world who are a tweet or a LinkedIn note or whatever away, and and you can't fucking hide from that, right? Right. So right, there's a level right. of uh, access, I guess, is my point. Right. That is very unusual for a Fortune 500 company. Right. Well, you know, when somebody says we have a culture of gratitude. Um, wisdom that Benioff shares in his, in his writing. Um, and, and I love beginners. mind. you know, if you have children, you know what that means. They ask a lot of questions. They're free of prejudice. They're curious. They're hungry to learn, um, you know, and they're able to learn, unlearn and relearn, which is, I think is a superpower that we lose as we become older um, because we hold on to those preconceived notions. It's okay to hold on to your core values, but as far as ideas, just, you know, hold them light, lightly and be willing to forget about them because sometimes you have to, in order to make room for the new, you got to get rid of the old. Um, but so, so why does Mark um, and team, they spend so much time in the field, you know, you know, Mark probably over hundred, hundreds, hundreds, I think he understands the law of numbers, no matter how big and successful your company, there's always more smart people on the outside than inside. That's just a fact. So to be able to be able to listen with interest, which is hard to do when you're a billionaire and you're successful and you know, your company's skyrocketing. So um, I always admire the humility, accessibility, and generosity. Um, and I think that being accessible you mentioned a dozen people, let's say, at Salesforce. That doesn't necessarily shape your culture, but it certainly reveals your culture to other people. 
Because the next time you decide to pick from another vendor that may be a competitor of ours, and you say, what have I learned from, do I know the leadership team? Do I, do we understand, do I understand their vision or their core values? Do they, when they make mistakes, do they publicly apologize and admit that there's a better way? Like, you know, and so I think in this hyper-connected knowledge sharing economy, you know, where billions of people are active on multiple platforms, um, not being accessible and not being generous with your knowledge um, could be a disadvantage for you, uh, and especially if you're a startup. If entrepreneurs listening to your podcast, man, get out there. Like, you know, we use these analogies, or I don't know, these like we, we customers at the edge of our, or customers at the center of our business. I've never had a customer walk up to me and say, Vala, can you put me in the center of your business? Never. If you want to be successful, put yourself at the edge of your customer. So you can see how your customers engage with their customers, and that's where innovation opportunities exist. So if you can help your clients delight their clients, then you become something of value, and, and hopefully you can have a nice, healthy, sustainable, sustainable you know, business, business model. Well, there he is. And um, if you could tell, the ending was a little abrupt, more than normal, and that's because uh, just as we were ending and getting ready to wrap up, uh, there was a little hiccup on the internet. And so uh, that's why you might have detected a, a, a more abrupt than normal ending. But regardless, a legendary conversation. Thank you, Val. I really appreciate it. All right. We would like to thank the good folks at OneLifeFullyLive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. That's OneLifeFullyLive.org. Um, my first book, it's called Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. Why not pick up a couple hundred thousand copies uh, wherever you get legendary books? NetSuite, number one in cloud ERP. Go to netsuite.com slash different today to schedule your free demo. Uh, bottleneck Virtual Assistance. Is it time to scale yourself? Why not leverage the power of a virtual assistant with bottleneck.online? Now, I got a question for you. Do, you pe- do your people think your company is awesome? My friends at Socrates are the leading digital conversation hub, and they want to help you make your company employee awesome. Check out Socrates.ai. That's S-O-C-R-A-T-E-S dot A-I. And the good folks at the Front Row Foundation dot O-R-G. This is the nonprofit working with people who are facing um, the most challenging issue we ever face which is the potential of the end of our lives and they make a magical bucket list wish happen for them check out frontrowfoundation.org all right i want to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the lockhead podcast network and all rights do remain perturbed we must warn you that clearly this podcast gets created in a studio that does contain nuts we are produced by jamie J and sarah knox editor is the incomparable Mike D and the legendary Diane Gervasio does our show notes. Um, Remember to learn and share cool new shit. Support your local cloud technology companies. (laughs) Buy John's crazy socks. Listen to the Ramones. Remember, if you haven't changed your mind lately, how do you know you have one? Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Richard C. Kelly, chairman of PG&E. Sorry, Dick, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Till we're together again, stay legendary, and of course, follow your difference.